All right, are you ready? We're lighting the candle of love for this last Sunday of Advent. And so for a few moments, I want to turn our thoughts to the love of God shown to us in the coming of Christ Jesus. Born in humble estate, Jesus emptied himself, letting his glory and majesty be hidden so that he might, for our sake, become a servant. Worshipped at his birth by men and angels, he was despised in his death, having taken on everything ugly and vile about our sin. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is our joy, our hope, the good news of the gospel. We are not only saved by Christ, but we are being renewed day by day, transformed to be in his image. We who shared the eternal delight of the Godhead, or he who shared, Jesus, who shared the eternal delight of the Godhead and the adoration and esteem of angels became the despised and rejected one for us. As we look at love this morning, I want to turn with you to 1 John 4, 7 to 12 for a few moments. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The first letter of John is filled with simple and profound instructions about love. And yet, even so... We struggle to apprehend its significance because today the word love has almost become one of those nonsense terms that means so many things that ultimately it means nothing to us at all. I love my wife. I love my kids. You might say you love the Oilers or mountain biking. I don't love those things. I love toast. It is even now used as a term of somewhat apathetic approval. Love it, love it. So, is love a passionate desire? Is it a feeling of warm affection? A great interest or pleasure in something? Or is it that, as DC Talk famously sang, love is a verb, something we do? One of my favorite lyrics is from a song called The Wait. It says, Come what may, I won't abandon or leave you behind because love is a loyalty sworn, not a burning for a moment. True, right? So is love a passion, a desire, 
an affection or a verb? Or does the song get it right and love is to choose a committed loyalty? Well, we don't have time this morning for me to share. Thank you. I don't have time to share all the proof texts this morning, so you'll have to take my word for it. But the biblical answer to this question is all of the above. The definition expressed in the weight, a chosen commitment to seek someone's good, has its own unique term in the Hebrew Bible. Hased, we've been talking about it in Ecclesiastes, which is usually translated steadfast love in our English Standard Pew Bibles. And it speaks of God's covenant love to those he has chosen. Hased echoes 26 times in just Psalm 136. Verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And 26 times, that's the echoing response. His Hased, his steadfast love is eternal. And then this uh, term appears around 200 times in the Old Testament. A a word specifically for the covenant love, the eternal, unconditional, chosen love of God, a committed love, the loyal love of God. This eternal love of God is the first and decisive movement in our relationship to Him. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. So God, God does not set his love on people according to what they have done or according to some virtuous characteristic as though they make the first move. God is the first and decisive cause. And so in the Old Testament, he says to his chosen people, Israel, Deuteronomy 7, 7 to 8, it was not because you were of more number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. And Paul reminds New Testament believers, chosen to be loved by God, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It is this unconditional love of God, which usually comes to my mind and my own vocabulary, has come to reflect this definition. I'm so romantic, so sometimes I will say to my wife, I love you and I like you, which is my way of saying I am both committed And I have affection towards her. And I might also say of someone, and somewhat problematically I might add, I love him, but that doesn't mean I like him. After all, doesn't Jesus teach us, Luke 6, 27, to love our enemies? But the range of the meaning for biblical love, God's love, extends far beyond cold and calculated commitment or a choice to do good to someone. God speaks affectionately of his people as his treasured possession 
Deuteronomy 7, 6. In whom, Psalm 149, 4, he takes pleasure. Deuteronomy 32, God speaks of his people as his own inheritance or his portion. It literally says, the apple of his eye, who he watches over and cares for like a mother bird fluttering over its young. Despite all the assurance that God has committed to love his people, I still find it hard to believe that it is a love which extends to the meaning of a passionate desire, feelings of warm affection, great interest, and pleasure. How can God have affectionate love for the unlovely? Take pleasure in the inadequate. How can God's love be anything more than cold commitment to a deeply flawed people? Now, we are extremely limited in our ability to understand God. In fact, we are hopeless to understand anything but what God himself reveals in his word and illuminates to us by his spirit. And so we turn first to a difficult teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of John, stated twice in chapter 14 and again in chapter 16. Uh, turn with me to John 14, 21. I'm going to read 21 and 23, and then I'll, I'll move to chapter 16, verse 27. Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And after an interruption, he repeats it again. If anyone loves me, verse 23, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And then Jesus reminds his disciples in chapter 16, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Now, I say these are difficult passages because there is no grammatical gymnastics we can apply to change the tense of this promise. It cannot be saying here, which is certainly clear elsewhere, that God loved us first. That is certainly a biblical truth, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. He says this in a future tense. Jesus says it twice in chapter 14, the one who loves him, that is the person who has and keeps his commandments, the one who loves him, that person will, future tense, will be loved by God. And then again in chapter 16, verse 27, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I tell my kids all the time that I love them no matter what. So why am I still so filled with warm affection and pleasure specifically at the times when they are respectful and obedient or when they are kind to one another? My love ebbs and flows. It grows in reaction to being loved in return. Sure, I loved my kids before they loved me back, but the intensity of my love, my appreciation for them, my affection grows relating to their loveliness 
and their love expressed towards me. Think about your spouse. Could you have expressed your unconditional and undying love having just met or on your first date? No, they would have jumped out of a moving vehicle to get away from you. And then you would have been exposed as a liar because you would have eventually had to move on when your love was spurned. So we can't say, I unconditionally love you. Not at the beginning. So I am saying that God's own love, sorry, so am I saying that God's own love is conditional to our behavior? Or as Jesus seems to be saying in John 14, that God loves us as a response to us first loving him? Absolutely not. God is not like me. He is the eternal creator, knowing the end of time from the beginning and commanding every moment in between. He chooses to love the unlovely, the weak, the foolish, sinners like me, and in setting his eternal and unconditional covenant love upon us, his hased, he transforms us to love like him. We love because he first loved us. It is this massive power, the omnipotent power of God's love that transforms us which accounts for both Jesus' words in John 14 and the deep affectionate love with which God loves us. Romans 8.11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. God's Spirit is at work in us. The Spirit of love at work in His people producing genuine love and affection for one another and for God. We love because He loved us first. You've perhaps heard it said that when God sees you or looks at you, He sees only Christ Jesus. And maybe that's close enough for most purposes, but in truth, when God looks at you, he sees not only who you are now, but also who you are in Christ, who you will be for eternity. And so his love does not ebb and flow. He does not grow in his love because he sees all at the same time. God sees what will be his church as his spotless bride for whom he died. He sees us at our worst, but he also sees us at our best. Not who we can be, but who we are in Christ. This transformative work of his his head, this, this covenant love, then transforms us to be those who love him in return, and then he affectionately and warmly loves us for who we are in Christ. God is not always pleased with what he sees in you and me right now. Like I said, he sees it all. We should not even pretend that God is always pleased with us. It always bothers me when we are told generally or we sing songs saying that God is pleased with us. Because how do you know? Perhaps some of us here have been living in ways quite unpleasing to God. 
But God sees the end from the beginning. In Christ, he loves the unlovely he has chosen. And in him, Romans 8.29, they are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God gives his unconditional love to us. This love transforms us. And God has genuine affection, warm feeling. You are his treasured possession because of who you are in Christ and who you will be eternally. And receiving this love of God will produce obedience. Mere duty will not generate real obedience to Christ. Only love for him can do that. So we, church, need to know this love of God that is not just cold and calculated, nor is it just warm affection at the times that we are doing good, but it is all of these definitions. It is with warm affection, genuine pleasure, that our Heavenly Father looks upon His church. A people who will increasingly obey his commands and love one another in response to his love. This is the metric. This is the litmus test for whether we have the love of God. Is that we love God. And we cannot legitimately claim the promises of God for those he loves, the promises which are explicitly for those who love God, unless we are growing in love for the people that he loves. I've had people say to me, oh, well, God knows my heart. It's kind of like a common Christian-y sounding phrase. God, God knows my heart. And they mean that in a good sense. <laughs> we know if we love God, if we love him by loving his people and obeying his commands. Only such love, born by the love from God can produce obedience in us. I'll leave you with 1 John 5, 1 to 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the unconditional love that you have shown your people. You loved the sinner. You loved the unlovely. You loved the lowly, the despised, the foolish. But in your love, you have not left your people in that state. But we are transformed by that love into people who love you, love each other, and obey. Thank you, God, for the love that was shown to us from before we were even born. Your chosen love, your said, your covenant faithfulness, but also your warm affection. That we are 
your treasured possession. May knowing that love continue to transform us today. We pray. For the glory of Jesus, amen.